This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walter. His name is Chase, and we are dead set to bring you the outdoors when you yourself can't be outside. It's that just that simple. Every week we drop episodes every Tuesday for you guys on your way to work, mowing the grass, cleaning up the, the honeydew list. We got you covered. So Chase, dude, welcome back. Thank you for joining me for yet again another week. I keep expecting one day for you to be like, listen, uh, uh, Buckmasters has called me. It's time for me to, to, to you know, get the promotion I so rightfully deserve. But you're here again, and I appreciate you, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've turned him down three or four times already. So you know, you know how it is. You just keep getting something thrown in front of you. Eventually, you're going to take it. But That's right. No, no, man. Today was a good day. I uh, actually went and picked up two of my deer that I had mounted from the uh, 2019 season. So finally got those back. So that was good to uh, get to finally uh, see the finished product uh, on those deer, man. So I was super excited. Yeah, man. You're going to run out of deer space here soon. That's the goal. I don't think I'll uh, – <laughs> <laughs> that's my goal yeah. every year is to, yeah. is to find uh, another place to put a deer, man. Um, yeah, but I, I have plenty of space. Actually, I don't even have the deer. The deer currently aren't in my house. They're actually uh, in my garage in a, like a separate room in my garage. So I'm waiting because there's some mounts that I want to get and they're like, they've been on back order till I think almost April or something. So I'm waiting to get those mounts and then I'm going to move some in the house finally. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Well, uh, you know, I, I do my own euros, so I don't, I don't get to make those fun drives, but, uh, I'm, I'm envious of you, man. I, I know you, we were just, you just dropped off your, your taxidermy from this year and you're like, man, I still haven't gotten last year's yet. And so <laughs> I know you're happy to get that on the wall. Cause that was a, that was a hell of a year for you. I bet you it was a hell of a taxidermy bill too, huh? No, well, the one was free. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep, the one yep. was free. So that, that was good. And so I only had to pay for the one. So wasn't too bad. 
It wasn't too bad. And my other one, the one from this year, actually is going to be ready uh, either the end of this month or early March, I've already been told. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I got it there. The ones from 2019, they had to sit and wait. So the taxidermist didn't even get them until the season was over. And uh, had that not happened, I think I would have had them a lot sooner. But um, this one I, I took during the season. So uh, it's going to be a little bit faster. Right on, man. Well, we just got off the phone with what I think one day, I'm going to just say this, I think one day his name is going to be like legendary status of the dude that just like just kills in every big, every a big buck in every state. Jake Bush comes on and this guy screams like humility. Like the guy was super transparent and we picked his brain. This is part two of, I think it's part two. Yeah, this is part two of the Lessons of the Fall series where we are picking the minds of people who have come on the show before talked about tactics and we want to know what they learned this past season. And Jake, dude, I mean, I could, I don't know that you could ask for more from him. I mean, he was super transparent with what he had to learn. Yeah. Jake is a great guy. Like you mentioned, real humble. Uh, once we got off the phone, he was even kind of like, Hey, I was glad I was able to do this podcast because a lot of times you don't sit back and reflect on things that you could have done different or went wrong during a season. You kind of reflect back on all the things that went right. And and it's good to go back and uh, think about, okay, well, maybe I should be focusing on this instead of that. And I'd heard this was kind of – it's not really related to hunting, but it kind of applies, is that even Tom Brady, I mean, he's won – now he's won seven Super Bowls, uh, the greatest of all time, is – Right after a game, like the next morning, he wakes up at 5 o'clock in the morning to like dissect the game film, to, to, to look at all the things that went wrong that he can fix. So even somebody that good still goes and takes the time and effort to go back and look at all of the like mishaps or what went wrong to kind of critique them and make it to where that doesn't happen again and you can focus on other things. So I, I think that uh, we picked a good guest in uh, Jake Bush to come on and uh, talk about some of uh, his lessons of the fall. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the key to repeatable success, right? Being honest with yourself, being transparent with yourself, making it a being a, a student of the game every day, every year. And uh, he he there at the tail end of the podcast talks about how he's taken on some really difficult terrain that he's not super familiar with, and I am somehow confident that he'll still be able to uh, to connect with with that as well. He said, he, did he say fifty or sixty miles? He's already put on the on the ground in that piece. Yeah, I think he said it was sixty miles, and that was just yeah. like chump change. So <laughs> he's got a lot more to go apparently. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So well. We're going to get you guys to the episode, but just want to tell you about a couple things. One, we want to thank the Patreon supporters of this podcast. Um, I think I've I think I've thanked everybody by name. I'm going to and then double check that to make sure. I know I've gotten everybody hats who needed a hat. I've, I should have gotten stickers out to everybody who needs a sticker. If you don't know what Patreon is and you want to you want to learn, it is a crowdfunding source for the podcast. For 15 cents a day, you can support the show, get get a sticker, get a hat. You get entered for four quarterly giveaways, uh, of which we are currently giving away an Alps Grand Slam turkey turkey vest in Bottomland. And Chase, you've you've uh, worked with your buddy to get us a couple calls uh, added to that as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward. Uh, he did a really good job on the pot call last year. It's a glass call. It's got the Chase and Tails uh, logo on it. Beautiful. Uh, he's currently working on that right now, and we're even going to throw in some uh, mouth calls from uh, the Longbeard Life. So. 
uh, I think that'll be a, a good package for somebody uh, this quarter. Yeah, it's it's going to be a cherry pot with red slate over glass, and it's going to have our logo in the year 2021 on there for you guys. So I am excited to see the uh, to see that as soon as we have photos, I will we, we will post them and we'll share that with you guys. That's that's just one of our ways that we say thanks because in the end, Chase and I are always going to do this podcast. What Patreon does, it's not a paycheck for us. It just allows us to do more of it. When a camera, you know craps the bed mid-season we have the ability to replace it when we need gas to go and and travel and shoot some videos it it, it just helps so if you like the content that we're putting out and you want to see more of it you want to chip in if you want to be added to our marco polo group where everybody can chat with each other who who are uh patrons and 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 share tactics and encouragement which is just the best thing to have if you're asking me uh, mid-season. Check it out. The link's in the show notes below, or you can put go to, to patreon.com forward slash chasingtailsoutdoors. Um, if, if you're looking for some new scree gear, some new camo, you, use the promo code chasingtails. You get 15% off your order uh, from scree gear that those guys support us. And, and honestly, it's, it's a guilt-free endorsement. Awesome gear, awesome price. It always works. And in fact, we're going to have uh, somebody who works with scree on the show very soon as well. And last but not least, Tethered, if you are interested in the best, lightest, most functional saddle gear out there, check them out. Tethered Nation. Uh, I'm rocking the Phantom. Chase is rocking the Phantom. We're going to be probably rocking their new sticks this year, which I'm stupid excited about. So those are the guys that support the show. So if you're interested, go show them some love. Check out Patreon. We'd love to have you. But with that, it's on to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with a guest that – the last time we talked, uh, threatened to come down here and shoot all of our big deer that uh, Chase couldn't catch uh, by, by, by January came around. But COVID, COVID happened, plans changed, and we didn't make it uh, make make a chance to you know really have that deer camp. But uh, that's okay because we're gonna have a little little sit down right now. We're gonna pick the brain of what I think is probably one of the the, the fastest rising deer mines that uh, I get to watch, and 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 he puts all his content out there. Jake Bush, dude. What's going on in your world? Hey, not a whole lot, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, doesn't look like you guys needed my help at all. This, to be honest, you guys did pretty good down there. I've been uh, been following along and everything, but yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. No, I listen. I, the last time we talked, a lot of pieces kind of came together. I tried to apply some of the things that we talked about, and you could tell that there was a hunger and a drive for you to continue to learn Ohio. Correct me if I'm wrong. Last year was your first year. No, not like last year, but as of when we talked, you'd only spent one season hunting in Ohio, right? Yeah. Yep. So this past season would have been my second. Right. Okay. And so then, so you have two years in the same space and I can tell that you feel like you're starting to figure things out because you started venturing to some really tough areas to hunt or to scout at least uh, for the upcoming year. So I am eager to pick your brain uh, tonight. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about lessons of the fall, things that you have learned and I'm just curious, from a guy that kills as many big bucks as you do, do you feel like you just have a system in place and you just execute, or, or are you constantly trying to learn as you go? It's, it's honestly a constant evolution, and that's that's one of the things I really try to key in on. And one of the actual lessons that I learned this fall, once again, was do not get complacent whatsoever. And so I'm, I really took a step back to this fall you know I, I still killed a really good deer on public but it wasn't the buck that i was after or even the top three bucks that i was after and it really set me back a little bit and so i've, I've really been attached 
season. Definitely, I've been trying to just pick up as much good information and put as many pieces together as possible. You know, work as hard as I can and as efficiently as I can to hopefully put myself in that spot come October first. Right on, man. Yeah, I think I think not letting up, Chase remarked this past year that uh, I had put in more effort this year than I had in previous seasons, and obviously my my season showed a, a marketable change there. Um, what is what does staying hungry look like for you? What did you when you think back to this past season? What stands out to you as things that uh, maybe lessons that you've learned? Okay, so one of the one of the biggest thing was how these set going into going into season last year you know I, I ended up killing that deer down here the my second hunt and it was my first hill country hunt in ohio so i didn't have a ton of experience under my belt but i felt like i had a lot of pieces that i dialed in going into this i attacked a lot of those same areas because i had really good bucks in there i mean you know right at that boone and crockett level deer so yeah so basically after after killing that last year I felt like I had a lot of pieces put together and then I took that into spring scouting, went through my spring scouting and really dialed in some of these spots. But the thing that I didn't recognize that I had off a little bit was the amount of deer bedding in some of these spots. So one of the, one of the big issues that I had was I would set up on a specific bed and there would be a buck in that bed, but it wasn't the buck I was after. And I ran into that issue quite a few times. That was one of the big things I struggled with. I uh, got in front of a lot of deer. I passed up a 146-inch buck that ended up getting shot day four because I saw the giant I was after that day. And uh, that's another lesson. I mean, that was one of those things where I had a wind for the day. I had everything set up the way I needed it, but I didn't verify the wind direction for every hour. So I, I got, I got complacent on my wind directions. I had a West wind. I set up in there in a hub expecting a West wind to blow my scent out of this Valley. And at six o'clock it switched to an East wind. Well, he came down off his bed at five fifty, and was at 60 yards at six o'clock when my wind switched. So my, my wind completely switched on me. It was forecasted that way. I just, I didn't catch it. I didn't pay attention enough to that. And that small detail cost me the second biggest buck of my life. And, you know, I chased that deer around all year. That was my best opportunity at him. I saw him quite a few times and it was really just a matter of being a little bit off of my setup. And so another lesson I learned with that, something I'm going to take into this year that's a little bit different for me uh, is, you know, in the past, I'm, I'm, we talked about it on the last podcast in the past, I was, I've always been trying to locate as many big bucks as possible. So, you know, even if it's up in the 10 or 15 target bucks, this year, I'm going to take a little different approach. I'm going to take two of my best historical locations, and then I'm going to add one spot that's closer to home. And I'm really going to focus on these three areas. And so what I'm going to do with that, like my, my trail camera data, instead of broadcasting you know, 20, 25 cameras throughout the state of Ohio on public land, I'm going to have pieces that have 12 to 15 cameras in each piece. So I can kind of get a little more movement. You know, if a deer takes a different trail, I can kind of have that trail fine tuned. My, my plan is to, I've got two very specific bedding locations that I can target. I want to place cameras around these locations. I want to place, you know, anywhere from five to eight cameras, depending on exit trails, 
within 150 yards of each bed that is like a specific bedding location. And I want to see what camera that deer walks by the most. And then I'll kind of dial in my hunts like that. And and that should just help me, you know, I already have some of these general locations dialed in, but I don't have the specific tree that they walk by the most that year, that fall dialed in. That's something I can work on quite a bit. Uh, yeah, that's, that's probably my biggest lesson is, is really don't spread myself overly thin and kind of try to fine tune some of these areas. So if I'm hearing you correctly, are you, are you say, you know, honestly, I, I think of all the guests we had on last year, you were the one that had like the most deer pegged, right? Like just, you're the, it, I, I never forget talking to you offline. You're like, Oh, I got X many X, you know, picked out and this kind of thing. I'm like, Holy crap. Like you'd, you'd put in all this effort and it seems like you're kind of, are you, are you going the opposite direction entirely? Or are you trying to find like some kind of midpoint in there where, you know, obviously you've, you've identified how to get on big deer, but you're going to kind of select one or two or three to go after. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still going to identify these specific areas. So, you know, from having a little bit of historical data in Ohio now, I know a lot of these really giant bucks I was chasing survived. Um, and hopefully I can find their antlers pretty soon as well. But I, I really want to still put in the exact same amount of work, but I just want to fine tune that work a little bit. So instead of hitting so many pieces throughout Ohio, maybe I hit three instead and just really try to really try to get specific on them. You know, I, my goal in Ohio is to kill in the first week or two weeks and then be able to travel during the rut because I feel like my opportunities in other States are going to be a little bit better during the rut because I can't put in that time. So no, I'm going to, I'm still staying on the path I've always taken where it's locate the deer, figure out their specific patterns, you know, figure out what deer there as far as like trail camera inventory, glassing, everything like that. It's just a matter of once I locate that deer of the caliber I want or an area that has three or four of those deer, I really want to take resources and dive into that spot. Okay. If that makes sense. No, it, it makes total sense. I, I remember when you told me, you know, all the, the different deer you had located, I thought to myself, like, how he's got one buck tag. How's he going to pick between all of those options? And, I mean, I think you kind of outlined, you know, maybe why that was an issue for you. Do you think that held you, like, genuinely held you back? Or do you think you could – are you still going to identify all of those deer but then just kind of hold on to some as a reserve if something happens? Exactly, yes. I still want to I, – I definitely want to have those backup plans, and that's always going to be really important. I think I'm just going to take my general backup. You know, I, I always went way above and beyond with locating them. Last year I located, I would say 15 to 20 bucks that were roughly in that 150 plus inch range. I just had a ton of bucks. And the good thing about that is being able to target the different beds. But the issue I ran into is I had one buck specifically that was just substantially bigger than everything else. And he just, he won me over. And so I constantly kept targeting him and I didn't use any of the Intel I had on those other deer until my buddy came down from Michigan and I put him in one of those spots. He actually killed day one down here, which was awesome. I was super pumped for him, but so I'm going to, I'm those backup plans never got used because I was so focused on that one deer and I, and, and moving forward, that's something I just want to focus on. 
Yeah, that that makes total sense. That that definitely sounds like a problem that you and Chase might uh, <laughs> might run into. I sincerely doubt I'm going to run into enough big deer that <laughs> that I'm going to have to pick uh, pick pick which one I'm going after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and I actually that deer had me so tore up. I passed up that the 146 was a really wide, beautiful ten. He got shot during muzzleloader, but I passed him up at seven yards and still kind of <laughs> contemplate what's <laughs> wrong with me but <laughs> were you about to say something chase no i was just saying I, I mean i had to do a little bit of what he's talking about this year as far as okay yeah i've got this deer located i'm pretty sure he's bedded in that area but i had to i started to devote a lot more trail cameras to that area um diving in more just trying to figure out okay is he exiting out this way on the days he's not coming on this camera? Is is he going this way? Why was he over here on a camera that I had across the property that wasn't for him? So it just, to me, it kind of sounds like, hey, there's really no point in having 15 bucks semi-dialed in. You're better off just having, okay, I've got three that I've got really dialed in and go after those, especially if you're talking about taking out a deer within the first five days of the season. Yeah, exactly. And I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, that pretty much completely sums it up. And you know, that's, that's the beauty of like the bow hunting journey for everybody. So it's, it's about the evolution, you know, where sometimes you'll go through a stage where you just want to locate like a bunch of good bucks and then you want to kill that giant. And then maybe you don't care about antler size at all. And you just want to kill a mature buck as you get down the road. It's, it's constantly evolving. And that's what is, you know, that's, that's what I love about it more than anything. I'm really at the point, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, <laughs> I can already see myself, you know, I'm doing all the scouting and stuff in these new spots, but I'm still hung up on that buck from last year a little bit. And <laughs> that's kind of like a personal, you know, I saw him a few times. I hopefully I find his antlers. I, I know he's just an absolute monarch of a buck. So I can see myself kind of fine tuning in on that one or two specific deer every year, but I still like like we talked about before just need multiple backup plans yeah i could i could see that for sure so outside of monitoring the wind on a on an hour hour basis or identifying those key travel quarters because i feel like i heard about that is that a topic that was discussed not too back long back on on exodus's podcast with um oh gosh the fella's name escapes me Steve Shirk is who I heard it from. That's that's who I was talking about. Right. Okay. Yep. So we're on the same yeah. page. That's where that makes sense. Because yep. I'm envious of you guys because topographically, you know, I think it's easier to, not that it's easy, but I think it's easier to figure out which way deer are coming and going because you have those, those, those limiting factors, whereas ours are kind of like biological in nature um, and, and maybe less defined. What, looking back on that season, is there anything else that you feel like you know, you could, uh, could improve on for the upcoming year. I really, it was, it, my, my biggest issue that I had going into season, which was different from every other year for me was the fact that I went out West for two weeks, literally right before season started. So I didn't have the two weeks of Intel leading up to season that I'd normally have. And, and I was just a little behind the eight ball and this, it was a weird year for me. I mean, it was, you know, it's, that's kind of what life is. Like I, I closed on my house, I believe October, sixth i totaled my jeep the third day of season it was just it, it was a lot going on so i was balancing a lot of factors but that's when you really have to you know i almost felt like there was a couple of days where i was 
just really complacent more than anything else where I just wanted to be in the woods and I wasn't necessarily focusing as hard as I should have been. And that was, you know, maybe due to a little bit of personal stuff too, but that's something that you need to keep in check with yourself. And, you know, there's, there's probably, I could have had a little better setups on some of these hunts. I could have decided to not quite chase that buck as hard as I did, but also on the flip side of that, in that whole process, I learned so much specifically about that deer and that I, I, I'm, I'm happy that I learned that I learned a lot, you know, he's the most mature deer in that area. So seeing those travel patterns, seeing what his tendencies were is definitely something that's going to help me in the future quite a bit. And it's just a matter of finding enough of those locations, I believe more than anything else. I mean, did you learn anything from any of your trail camera data about that deer this year that'll help you next season? Season? Yes, 100%. I learned specifically, so a lot of these areas have multiple points that they bet on. And one of the big things that I learned was specifically what, like, uh, what, what bowl system. So there's the main ridge and then there's a bunch of points that jut out that have beds on them. And then there's like a few major bowls in that ridge as well. I learned what major bowl system he likes to bet around a lot. And a lot of that was due to moving my cameras in there a little later in October. You know, I, I dedicated a couple more cameras to that location And so moving forward, that was definitely one of the best learning lessons I had. Was he keying in on any food sources or anything like that that you noticed? I mean, did you have like, okay, why is he where he's at? Was it like a specific food source or was that's just, that was his bedding area? Yeah. So we had a, we had a great oak year down here. We had acorns all over the place, at least in my section that I was really targeting. And there was specific I would say oak flats in general that they would spend a lot of time on. And then there was some private ag fields about a mile out onto the, you know, to the West that, that were getting hit pretty good as well. And he would make his way there almost every night, but it was, you know, two hours past dark at that point. But yeah, like specific, uh, specific acorn flats that I found that were pretty good. And that I saw that across a lot of different deer. I mean, I had a lot of bucks that were hitting acorns, you know, well in daylight, all throughout October that I could definitely key in on in the future. Hmm. Have you thought about using any kind of software to create uh, like predictive, predictive, um, I don't know, predictions based on the, the, cause you run trail cameras So, so avidly and, and with abundance, I'm just curious, have you ever thought about using any of that predictive software to see if there's patterns there that maybe you haven't thought about yet? You know, I haven't ventured into the software side. I do keep, like just a database for myself that I created just an Excel sheet. And then I have uh, photos that correlate with that, that are based on a lot of factors, you know, like the specific weather, wind direction, time of year, things like that, where I can open up some of these, some of these folders and say, okay, on a Southwest wind in the first week of October, what deer did mm-hmm. I have moving mm-hmm. in daylight at what locations? Okay. That makes sense. So going into this year, lessons having been learned from last year, what do you, what do you in looking forward think you need to improve on uh, that maybe you didn't, you know, learn the the painful way this year? So, you know, overall, I I still feel I had a really successful season, but the the big thing is if I I need to recognize early, if I'm going to key in on one deer or not, if I'm going to, if I'm going to key in on one deer, the other 14 deer that I find don't matter. 
And I need to really focus on that specific deer more. And that's, that's one of the big things. So, you know, like we've talked about quite a bit in this podcast, um, just being able to recognize that early and dedicate those resources to that early enough to, you know, be where I need to be first couple of days of season. And if I don't, if I don't decide to do that and chase that one specific deer, say I have three or four deers in like the same three or four deer in like the same, you know, age class and antler class, I can set up the way that I've always hunted them and hunt them based on specific weather patterns and wind. Right on. What, what new challenges, what new places are you going to take on this year? I, uh, I moved an hour East as well. And that's, that was part of the whole, you know, I had to drive an hour and a half every day and night to hunt that location. I was hunting those big deer at. So that was another aspect of it. That was a little difficult, but so I want to target out where I'm at a little bit more. And it's a lot of like strip mine land. It's, it's totally different than anything I've really hunted because everything is almost monotonous. You know, you have a ton of hills that almost look identical. You have these big, like stripped out ponds that create funnels throughout. It's like a network of funnels, basically. Uh, the, the entire thing, it does have a lot of oaks, but it's all briars as well. There's a ton of undergrowth. It's very thick. And that's why, you know, selfishly, I had some questions for you guys about that. I remember on the last podcast, we talked about how a lot of the land you guys are hunting is like extremely monotonous. And I just kind of wanted to get your your take on what you learned this season as well, or, you know, maybe mistakes that you guys made trying to figure out some of that land down there. And maybe I could use that this season out here. Oh boy. Well, Chase, as the, as the big buck killer, do you want to take that on first or do you want me to talk about how to kill scrub bucks? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, one of the tactics that I use for that is trail cameras. I mean, just a lot of trail cameras to try to get me uh, dialed in uh, on an area. Cause like I said, a lot of it's monotonous. Uh, there's no real good terrain changes. I mean, you may look for features that come together where you have pines that may go into a swamp or an oak hammock or something edge, but trying to maybe really get the buck you're going after dialed in kind of like you do is try to figure out at least an area where they're bedding at and then slowly work out from there and maybe surround that area with cameras to try to figure out, okay, this buck is coming out of this area on a good pattern, this direction or that direction, depending on the wind, what the food sources are and uh, things like that is how I kind of approach it. I mean, a lot of it, because a lot of the bucks, I mean, they don't really bed in the same spot, kind of like you were talking about some this year, a lot of the bucks weren't bedding in the same area over and over again. And I've noticed that a lot of the deer kind of where I'm at, they kind of work patterns. Like they'll show up for a couple of days and then they'll disappear for like a week. And then they may show up for a couple of days again, and then they'll be gone for 10 days. Uh, so, and there's one specific buck that I was kind of going after this year. Like he did that on so much of a, a kind of consistent pattern, but you never could kind of quite figure out of why he was showing up on the two particular days that he would kind of show up for. Uh, so I think I've got to get that more dialed in. But I just go with what are my trail cams telling me? And if there's nothing in those areas, then I keep moving my trail cams until I can find, okay, this is where uh, that buck is most consistently. I got you. That makes sense. And so 
you know, they're, they're moving their beds around a lot. Is that, do you believe that's due to like the food sources shifting that frequently or what do you think is causing that? Is it just that it's so monotonous yeah. that they just have so many yeah, options? They, they, yeah, they just have so many options and it's kind of like, okay. It, and a lot of it is from when they start here, like when the season starts, like they're almost kind of in a rut getting ready to rut for the most part. So I think it even gets more difficult kind of down where we're at because they're already starting to focus on does and stuff almost like right as the season starts. Like you kind of like you've got like a real short window, maybe like the first couple of days, maybe to get on one. And then after that, they've like spread out. They're not in bachelor groups anymore and they're just kind of all over the place. But I think it's just there's so many different places they can bed that they will bed those areas then as opposed to they they have to keep going back to the same area over and over again. Yeah, I got you. That makes total sense. And I mean, something that I might rely on with that this year, you know, you sparked a little, little flame for me, but something that I might rely on is trying to locate areas that maybe they do get a little bit of pressure and then they would make that bedding more specific. You know, they might be pushing these deer back into a specific corner or a specific bowl or knob somewhere or something like that. That's a little bit different and right. see if I can get, cause ideally you, you know, I'd like to pattern them early season, find the buck I want, pattern him and then kill him. But if it's as, if it's the bedding that sets up just like what you're talking about, which it very well could, because I'm finding beds everywhere, then maybe that's not going to be quite an option. Maybe it's more of trying to locate like the specific, the specific food source and, and also like the hottest sign as well. It's going to be a challenge. It's, it's different than I've hunted. I'm really excited for it. It's uh, I'm probably going to lean on you guys quite a bit and ask a bunch of questions because it kind of seems like terrain wise, it's close to what you're used to. And right. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as sign and stuff, it's almost like there's so much sign of deer, like small bucks and stuff make so much sign. I, I really, I have a hard time like locating like big buck sign down here for some reason. I don't know if it's just that they're so dominant. They don't really need to lay down any sign <laughs> um, because like a, a really big buck here, like literally has no competition compared comparatively. So to me, I mean, I had this buck, it was last year that I was after just giant, <laughs> mega giant for Florida. And I could not, I, I had his areas kind of, I pinned down, but I could not find sign that he was laying down. Um, as far as like rubs and things like you would have thought that there'd just be this massive rubs or rubs somewhere to where this buck was using. And I could not find anything of the such, uh, on that deer. So I don't know if it was just, he was so dominant that it didn't matter and he was going to do whatever he wanted and he could take any dough that he wanted from any buck, but, uh, it, it was hard to just kind of go, okay, this is that buck sign. And I kind of know you're kind of talking, are you talking about like feed sign and things like that? as well so yeah feed sign and stuff i mean there's just so much for them to eat down here that very rarely do you find like uh, you will find it from time to time but like hot feed trees things like that there's just so much of a buffet that they kind of uh travel unless there's like a crop somewhere like peanuts or um whatever planted peas or something like that that it's really hard to like dial in like a specific food source for them source for them I got you. That makes sense. And how about, how about the soil down there as far as like actual tracks go? Like it almost seems like I, and I might run into the same thing where maybe the absolute best sign, the two things that I'll key in on 
maybe it's like uh, community scrapes where I can get this buck on camera every couple of days or coming off of a bed hitting a scrape, you know, more frequently than that, or just big tracks in general. Maybe that's, you know, walking creeks or areas where they leave impressions in the dirt and just looking for like the specifically bigger tracks. Right. Yeah. Tracks probably tracks definitely seem to help up there. Um, down here, even down here. I mean, I try to focus on tracks and things, but, uh, even his track, like just trying to find spots for his track and stuff, like a consistent deal. I was just like, I, I mean, and I spent plenty of time trying to do it. Uh, I just never could like get him really like, okay, he's, and the the thing that helped me the most was just the cameras was having him pegged down. So that that's how I do it. Um, Walt probably has a totally different approach. Yeah, I think I would add that in areas where the the terrain is monotonous and everything is 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 re- rather similar, I'm finding and again, no means a pro at this obviously, but I am finding a correlation between certain types of thick cover. And I know that sounds really funny, but there's like a certain stem count that becomes prohibitive for the majority of deer in this area. And I find um, there's little like mulberry, it's not mulberry, but it's like this little like um, tiny like um, crepe myrtle looking bush. Somebody's probably listening to this and screaming into the microphone what it is. And please (laughs) message me and tell me. But I'm finding that there's on the higher points of swamps and the higher points of ridges where where this little crepe myrtle bush is, when all the leaves fall and it's dead of winter, you can see 100 yards in it. And there's beds in there, and and you and I see deer most frequently right there. I bust them out of beds there, and there's a there's a kind of a type of grass I found here as well that they really like. It's it's like a real thick, coarse grass. Again, I'm sure somebody's screaming, but they really around water areas they really seem to key in on that. Um, and I'm sure that they will bed wherever they feel comfortable. But I've noticed a pattern where there are areas in which deer are spending more time bedding because of the type of x species of bedding cover and as a result when i put cameras up there um this this held especially true in georgia but i'm finding it to hold true here in florida as well as i put up uh cameras on trails coming in and out of those areas i'm getting way more deer so you know into the thick stuff is what most people are going to tell you i would say whenever you find a bed note what he's in um if you think it's a buck bed um Note what he's in and see if there isn't a pattern to the type of of placement in the in, in the vegetation specifically because it seems like there's a correlation here and this is something I'm gonna I'm probably gonna double my trail camera arsenal this year and have close to thirty cameras because I wanna really test this theory out um, because I'm finding a lot of big deer sign. Southeast Georgia, southwest Georgia, right here in Tallahassee. I'm getting pictures of big deer when certain ter- when certain vegetation exists, um, and and I'd be willing to bet that that would hold true where you are, but it would be a different type of vegetation. Yeah, that that makes total sense. And uh, you know, I've already put like 60 miles of boots on the ground in this new location, and I have picked up on something like that that I really didn't put a lot of thought in until you mentioned that. But it's so there's there's briars everywhere, but some of the briar patches on top of these, you know, like old strip mine tailings piles that are, you know, pretty high. They're like 50 feet higher than everything else. Not all of them have great bedding, but the ones that do have like this grass mixed in with that bedding. So maybe that's a feature I can key in on and run cameras on the ones that have that specific grass up there 
whether it's, you know, I don't know what that would be adding, whether it's a little bit of security cover or they're milling on it before they go down to their primary food source or whatever it is. I have noticed that that's something that I'll, I'll keep in mind for sure. Yeah, no. And, and and the other thing that I found is, um, in those areas where the bedding is, um, look for that historical bedding that maybe they're not using because it seems like, and especially with food sources, it seems like, especially with food sources, because there's so many bedding options that as one comes and goes, their habits change overnight. Chase, one of the things I, 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 uh, on that piece of Georgia public that I, I, you know, really picked apart was when I had the most deer activity, there were still acorn acorns hitting the ground. And the moment that that quit within a matter of a few weeks, the, the, the pictures in those bedding areas nearest that really plummeted and the bedding shifted into the denser cover uh, where there was a higher stem count, obviously, for them to browse. So I, I attribute personally, not saying Chase is wrong, but I attribute those bedding areas changing for just like real subtle biological shifts. Maybe it's the rut coming into heat and the doe, a doe comes into heat, or maybe it's just as simple as you know, acorns aren't super abundant that year. And when they run out, that area just doesn't appeal to them anymore. So, you know, maybe weigh, weigh those as well. Um, I, I'm making a good note of areas that have a lot of acorn caps on the ground that are adjacent to those bedding areas that I'm finding and uh, persimmons as well. Um, when I find that, I'm marking that and that's a high priority for me. Uh, I got a lot of, I got more bucks on camera this year doing that than I ever have like every year of my life combined. I mean, it was unreal the amount of bucks. I mean, they weren't like Pope and Young's, but I just had bucks everywhere. Every time I put up a camera, it seemed like up in Georgia. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, you know, that's, that's the awesome thing about doing this, you know, podcasting with guys or basically everybody that's talking deer anymore. I mean, it's, it's awesome that you can get so many different takes on it and get so many different tips you know, I'm, I'm a farm country slash swamp slash hill country guy. It's specifically hill country, but I've never hunted a monotonous ter terrain and having you guys to just, you know, rely on a little bit is great. I mean, I'm taking all this in and that's, that's one of the best lessons right there is just the ability to really the drive and the, the motivation to keep wanting to learn from everybody. You know, every person that hunts has some sort of information tip that'll probably help you a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and bits of each combined as well. I found that to be really, really beneficial as well. So, um, dude, I, I am, I am obviously here, uh, to talk hunting whenever you want, pick up the phone, text, email. If you still have email, I don't know if people still have emails, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, seriously, I, I enjoy it. And, and, and honestly, it kind of makes me wonder if, uh, Chase and I wouldn't like not bragging, but it does make me wonder like if, if that wouldn't be a suitable place for Chase and I to come up and test our own metal, just because if it's, if it's similar, would we be able to, to, you know, apply similar tactics? Whereas maybe, you know, maybe, maybe not. It'd just be interesting to see if those patterns hold true. So keep me posted, man. And, and definitely next year, I want to have a deer camp, whether it's a late season one here or something, we got to figure something out. Oh yeah. And Hey, doors open up here at the cabin. You guys, are uh, more than welcome to come up here and give that spot a shot because I would, I'd like to see you guys tackle it. To be honest, it'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to twist Chase's arm to go to, to, to leave difficult hunting to go to difficult hunting. He's not a glutton <laughs> for punishment like me, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get up at some point for sure. So. Oh, come on. I want to Michigan late season after gun season with a bow. You guys got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I rely on the luck factor. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be- before I let you go, I'd be remiss not to give you an opportunity. I think you started a YouTube channel that uh, all your content can be dropped uh, or will be posted to, but uh, uh, it wasn't live the last time we spoke. Do you want to give everybody some, some info on that? Yeah, yep. So there's three hunting films out right now. My uh, 25 point that I killed on public here, my buck I killed last year, which was a 12 point on public. And then my buddy Drew Emmington from Michigan, he came down as well and killed a, a really nice public land buck. So there's three hunts on YouTube. There's a Ohio public land shed hunting video on there, which is pretty cool. And we plan on posting a lot more content. We brought a couple more guys onto the channel. So I'm really excited to bring out some good content. That is uh, Legends of the Hunt on YouTube. And then you can find us at Legends of the Hunt on Instagram. And my Instagram is Jake Bush Solo. There you go. Guys, you heard it from from the goat himself, the dude that kills the big deer in the hardest to hunt places. If you enjoyed this episode, do us one solid. Get outside. Now is the time to go scouting. Now is the time to get after it. And uh, we're, we're giving you the information. Jake's told you what he's doing. So go get some trail cameras. Try it out. See what happens. And let us know, no matter what you do, the most important thing is you get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.